Uncover from CBC Podcasts is your source for exceptional storytelling and groundbreaking journalism. Unveil the shocking secrets of one of Canada's most prolific fashion moguls. He far exceeds Jeffrey Epstein. He far exceeds Bill Cosby. And dive into the unsolved murders of two Canadian billionaires. This is a perfect storm of conspiracy theory. It's got all the ingredients, none of the answers. With new episodes released weekly, you'll hear the very best in award-winning true crime. Listen to Uncover wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Alexei Navalny is dead, says Russia's prison service. The fierce critic of Vladimir Putin had been in jail in Russia since 2021, most recently in a prison north of the Arctic Circle. He ran for mayor of Moscow in 2013, coming in second behind the Putin-supported candidate and becoming a thorn in the side of the Russian president. He caught the ear of the Russian people through exposing the corruption of Russian elites and the huge sums of money going into their pockets. He tried to run for president but was kept off the ballot, and then survived a poisoning attempt that nearly killed him, but went back to Russia anyway, refusing to back down. There is no information yet on Alexei Navalny's cause of death, but his lawyer is traveling to the prison where he died. Navalny's press secretary has not yet been able to confirm his death. Bill Browder is the CEO of Hermitage Capital Management and a longtime critic of Vladimir Putin. Bill Browder, hello. Hello. What's your reaction to this news? Well, um, let, let, let's be let's be clear about this. Putin killed Alexei Navalny. It's plain. It's simple. He tried once before with Novichok. It didn't work. He tried again this time, and it did. How well did you know Alexei Navalny? I knew him pretty well. Um, we were uh, collaborators on on um, anti-corruption campaigns when I and he were both in Moscow. After the murder of my lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, he played a big role in getting justice for Sergei Magnitsky. And um, I've always supported him and been been uh, sympathetic towards him and, and been terrified for him. And this is just the worst possible outcome. We're still waiting to find out details about what actually happened to Alexei Navalny. But he was, in many ways, one of the most, if not the most, ardent critic of, of Vladimir Putin. Putin wouldn't even say his, his name. What do you think Vladimir Putin was afraid of when it came to Alexei Navalny? Well, Alexei Navalny was a person who was um, not afraid to speak the truth. And the truth was that Putin was destroying Russia, financially benefiting from the destruction. And, um, and that, that, that's a fact that's inconsistent with a person being the leader of the country. And so uh, Putin was afraid that Alexei Navalny would eventually have him uh, unseated. And from Putin's perspective, if he ever lost his job, he would lose his life. And so he viewed Alexei Navalny as a mortal threat and and uh, and the person who needed to be eliminated and that's that's pretty much how it's played itself out it's remarkable to think about though i mean vladimir putin is an incredibly powerful man this is one guy who who was an an, an opposition candidate that he was that there would be him that would be such a threat to vladimir putin i think is is surprising and shocking to some people well, what, what everyone needs to understand is that Putin, um, his power doesn't come from people loving him. His power comes from people being scared of him. And, um, uh, and, and if somebody like Alexei Navalny says, I'm not scared of Vladimir Putin, I'm ready to call him out for his crimes, then it gives people um, that confidence to do it themselves. And so he, he's, got to set the, he's got to basically set an example, which is to, if he kills the most prominent critic, um, then very few other people will have the guts to be a critic as well. 
What do you make of the fact that Alexei Navalny went back to Russia? He survived a poisoning that should have killed him, and instead of fleeing to safer places around the world, he went back defiantly um, to Russia. Why did he do that, do you think? Well, I think that his view was that it was either, you know, either Putin was going to win or he was going to win. And um, he thought he had a good enough chance of winning to go back. I think he saw himself as as being, you know, maybe sitting in jail like Nelson Mandela. And eventually when the Putin regime fell, he would take over. Um, but he I mean, it was a miscalculation in the end. He was in uh, front of, of, of cameras just last month uh, at this prison north of the Arctic Circle, and he was cracking jokes as he was appearing in a, in a very distressed state, but he still had a sense of humor about him. What did that tell you? Well, it, it tells you how brave he is. It also tells you um, the, the, um, what he wanted to show Putin was that, that Putin could do anything, everything and anything, and that he would still have his composure and his... And his um, strength and, and he would have the strength enough to crack jokes and to be defiant and, and that in the end um, you know he, it's one thing to um, to put on a brave face which he did but it's another thing to if your body gives up and that's apparently what happened there are presidential elections that will be held next month in Russia the opposition candidate has been barred from running what does the death of Alexei Navalny in the context of those elections mean do you think for Vladimir Putin well, Vladimir Putin just wants to make sure that anybody who ever has any thoughts about being in opposition um, has a second thought and doesn't do it. And, and the, the message to everybody is you go into politics to oppose Putin and you die. That's the very clear message in the same way as the message was to anybody in the military uh, after the Prigozhin uh, assassination that don't don't do any mutinies. Putin is is a guy who's trying to keep control and he likes to keep control with major symbolic assassinations and this is this is a very major symbolic assassination what does it mean for russia what it means for russia is just more of the same you know vladimir putin's been there for 24 years and and uh, sadly it looks like the, the person who had the best chance of um, taking over from putin is now dead bill browder glad to talk to you about this this is is very dramatic and breaking news but i appreciate you finding some time to speak with us thank you thank you Bill Browder is the CEO of Hermitage Capital Management and a longtime critic of Vladimir Putin. I've reported other people's stories for a long time, confronting people in power. But behind this broadcast voice, I've hidden my greatest secret. I was in an abusive marriage. It lasted a year, but it changed my life. Part of me always blamed myself for what happened, and I've lived with the shame. So many of us live like this. It's time we change that. I'm Anna Maria Tremonti. Welcome to Paradise is my story. Available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. The Toronto filmmaker Daniel Rohr got extraordinary access to Alexei Navalny in the aftermath of his poisoning in 2020. Daniel Rohr's film, Navalny, went on to win the Oscar for Best Feature Documentary last year. I spoke with Daniel Rohr in 2022 when that film came out. Here's our conversation. The last time I spoke with you, you were talking about a film that you had done on Robbie Robertson and the band. How did you go from that to ending up in the same room as Alexei Navalny? You know, Matt, so often making documentaries is just a question of being in the right uh, place at the right time. 
And after I did the documentary about the band and, and it opened TIFF and, and, it, and it had all this really cool success that I was really excited about, this COVID pandemic started and, and I was, you know, like so many people trying to figure out what, the, what I was going to do and what my next project would be. And I found myself in October, October of 2020 um, in, in Kiev with this Bulgarian journalist that I was getting to know, um, this guy called Christo Grozev. Um, and this producer that I was working with named Odessa Ray. And Christo worked for this investigative outlet called Bellingcat. These are like these super uber nerds who use data and computers and information to solve crimes and solve mysteries and do these investigative reports. And at the time, I didn't really get what Christo did. I just sort of understood he was some genius. And what ended up transpiring, Matt, is that we got, I'm going to say, very assertively encouraged to leave Kiev by the government because they didn't like what we were working on a film about. And so we were back in Vienna. And once again, I found myself without a film to make, without a job, in the middle of this pandemic, feeling very despondent. And that's when Christo walked in one morning and he said, listen, I'm sorry that this thing in Kiev isn't working out, but there's something else that you might be interested, Daniel. He said, I think I have a lead into who tried to poison Alexei Navalny. And I was like, immediately, like, Christo, what do you mean you have a lead? Uh, how, do you know Navalny? He says, yeah, we're sort of Twitter friends. And I said, well, who's making that movie? And he goes, I don't know, should I ask him? And I said, Christo, yes, of course, you should ask him. Hmm. A week later, Christo and one of the film's producers, Odessa Ray and myself, were driving across Germany to the Black Forest on the German-French-Swiss border to meet with Alexei Navalny, the leader of the Russian opposition, who had just woken up from a coma, who had just survived this near fatal poisoning. Um, and it was my job to pitch to this guy why a documentary was a good idea and why I should be the one to make it. What was your, fir uh, what was your first impression of him when you met him? I have to tell you, in, in all honesty, Matt, I was nervous. I'm not normally someone who gets starstruck. You know, my last film has all these incredible rock stars in it. But when I when I was sitting across from Navalny, he just has this commanding presence. It's this quality that's ascribed normally to master politicians, like this Kennedy or, or Obama quality, where he just makes you feel like you're the only person in the room. He's immediately charismatic and likable and, and very warm. You know, he put me at ease very quickly, but I also had to sort of put that in check because I understood that in order to do my job and to make this film work, I had to have a critical gaze towards this guy. I couldn't be his buddy. I had to be a documentary filmmaker um, making a film about him. And so I really think Alexei appreciated the integrity of that approach. And in that first discussion, Matt, one of the things that came up immediately was a question of final cut and creative control and veto power and, and all of these things. And in that very first conversation, I sort of mustered the chutzpah to tell the leader of the Russian opposition and his staff that if they wanted to do this, uh, I was the director and I had to be the one who was uh, in charge of the film and creative and editorial control had to be vested with the filmmakers. And for someone who's so image conscious, I think that was a bit, bit nerve wracking, but ultimately Navalny appreciated the integrity of the approach. I was going to say that's important in part because, as you say, he's an unusual politician. He has his own YouTube feed, this wildly popular TikTok feed. Um, he is somebody who who is in very much in control of his own image and how he presents that image. What kind of complication does that present when you are trying to make a critical documentary about about somebody who who is deeply involved in helping to reshape Russia? 
you know, that's something, Matt, that was very much on the forefront of, of my mind as I was producing the film. Here's a guy whose greatest political strength, perhaps, is his mastery of the media, his mastery of social media and the internet and YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and all of these mechanisms and platforms. And so how then is he using me and weaponizing me as a filmmaker for his own political ambitions and aims. And that is sort of a conflict and, and a struggle, a dialogue that we try to thread into the film. It's sort of the meta narrative of the movie, but it's something that I had to be incredibly mindful of. And I think it's an interesting conflict that emerges in the movie. You ask him directly about his public appearance at a protest march in 2011, alongside neo-Nazis and Russian nationalists. And he was unapologetic for being there, for being photographed, for speaking at that rally. He says it's part of his superpower to be able to bring people together. What did you make of that response? Well, I think that uh, Alexei Navalny is a Russian politician who is operating in a very different context. He is not campaigning in a Western democracy. He's campaigning in a country where the governing regime murders people with chemical weapons. And what Alexei Navalny has done is made a political calculation that the, the most effective mechanism he can employ to defeating this regime and installing a democratic tradition in his home country is by building a broad-based coalition. And what that means to him is by trying to have a conversation and a dialogue with very, very unsavory characters. For me as a filmmaker and, and someone who grew up in, in, in Canada, you know, that's obviously something that makes me very, very uncomfortable. I was going to say, are, are, you, are you personally troubled by this, by, by the stance that he took? Absolutely. Well, of course. I mean, unequivocally. But at the end of the day, I can simultaneously be uh, personally troubled and have my reservations, but understand the political calculus. Alexei Navalny is operating in contexts where the regime murders people with chemical weapons and there is no such thing as freedom of expression or freedom of the press or freedom of speech or any of these things. And so this is a political calculation that he has made. And, and I feel confident that I can simultaneously question it, scrutinize it, disagree with it, but still understand why he made that decision. And I think ultimately this part of his history, it's strange and it's complex. And I think it makes him a more interesting, fascinating character. If people are ambivalent towards him after they watch this film, if they're ambivalent about Navalny, I'm comfortable with that because I think here's a guy who wants to be the president of the biggest country in the world. We must scrutinize every aspect of his past, his present and his policies. I want to play you a clip. This is how your film starts. You might hate this, but I really want you to think about it. If you are killed, what message do you leave behind to the Russian people? Oh, come on, Daniel. No, no way. It's like you're making movie for the case of my death. Again, I'm, I'm ready to answer your question, but please let me let it be uh, another movie, movie number two. Like, let's make a thriller out of this movie, and in the case I would be killed, let's make a boring movie of memory. What did you make of that response that he gave you? You know, Matt, I spoke earlier about how we had this sort of subtle co conflict or tension between the director and the subject. And here's a, a, a subject who's very aware of his own image and how he comes across in media. And here he is in the opening of the film, 
I ask him a question and he's directing me. He's turning it around on me and, and he's saying, no, 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 Daniel, we're not going to make that movie. We're going to make this movie over here. And it was really important for us to sort of thread that, I guess, tension throughout the film between the filmmaker and the subject. But ultimately, you know, it's very uncomfortable, Matt, to sit across from someone who you respect and care about and ask him to focus on his own mortality. Um, Why did you ask him that question? Because I understood very clearly that I was... The interview I was I was conducting with Navalny, that sit-down interview in our film, could very well be the last interview he ever gives. We understood that when we were shooting that, that he was going back to Russia, he was flying back into the jaws of the lion, and he would be locked up for a very long time, and he might not survive his prison sentence. And it was sort of incumbent upon me as the director to think about the very possible outcomes of what could happen to the story. It was quite possible in that moment that Alexei flies back to Russia and was killed when he landed. We had no idea what would happen. And so I felt like I had an obligation to ask him about this. What happens if my film comes out in a context where Alexei is not with us anymore, where the regime is successful and they murder him? I had to be prepared for that. And it's really uncomfortable and it's really challenging as a human being and a filmmaker to sit across from someone you care about and say, you know, Alexei, imagine that you're dead. Imagine that scenario, what message you have for your people. But that's what it is to do this work. And although it annoyed him, uh, you know, I think it, it, was, it was a really important question to ask. And I push him on it. What do you make of the fact that he has, in some ways, a sense of humor about what he's faced? You're asking this, him this question after he has survived a poisoning that very nearly killed him. And he's able to laugh about it. He's able to poke fun at himself and at those who were involved in it. What does that tell you about him? I think Navalny is a guy who lives in a very dangerous context. His life is constantly at risk. And the way he copes with this situation, this very real danger, is through humor and lightheartedness and laughing about it. He could live in fear, but he chooses not to. And I think that is emblematic of his spirit and who he is. And part of the reason why I think Navalny and I got along so well is because we were both people with a sense of humor and we were both people who are you know, do intense work. I'm not comparing my work to his work, but my films have taken me to very serious, challenging places and stories and, and these sorts of things. And humor is such an important part of my worldview. And I think that's how he and his family cope with the profound danger they find themselves in every single day. What is he able to find out about who tried to kill him? Every single detail. Um, what the film chronicles is Navalny working with a team of journalists trying to uncover this plot. What do they find out? Every single morsel of information about who tried to murder him, the tactics and techniques, why the operation failed. And it was all revealed through one of the most stunning security lapses in, in the, the modern history of the FSB, the, the modern KGB. I think you, if you've seen the film, Matt, know the scene I'm referring to. Yeah, it's astonishing to watch. I mean, the scene is when Navalny, who has survived the poisoning and all this information is accumulated, starts dialing up the people he suspects involved in, in trying to kill him. And some of them hang up, but one of them starts talking to him and reveals, as you said, all of the details of this plot, why the plot failed, what they were trying to do. As you're watching this, my jaw is kind of hanging open because I can't believe what's unfolding uh, on the screen. As you're there in the room, what was going through your mind? Well, you know, Matt, I don't speak a word of Russian, but you didn't have to speak a word of Russian to understand exactly what was happening. I vividly remember the moment when everything turned. I looked over at 
Alexei's chief investigator, this very steely, sort of cold, brilliant woman named Maria Pevchik. And I just saw that her jaw was unhinged and she was in utter disbelief. What was that? What was that moment when you say when everything turned? That's the moment when I realized that Konstantin Kudratsev, this FSB chemist on the phone with Navalny, was duped. And in fact, Alexei's um, mission to extract information was successful. And this guy took the bait. We, I had very little expectations that we would produce anything meaningful from Alexei's prank calls. He wanted to call up the members of his kill team. And I thought, you know, might be interesting for the film, but if you are a trained assassin for the FSB, you don't just spill the beans over the phone. I think they teach you that on day one of Russian spy school. But apparently that's not the case because this guy told Navalny every single detail. And being in the room was absolutely stunning. And I remember sitting there, Matt, holding the off-axis camera, getting shooting these close-ups. My DP, Nikki Waddle, was on the two-shot. And I just remember keeping an eye on the shot, making sure it was in focus, making sure there was battery and, and memory cards in the camera. We had plenty of everything to just keep shooting. And then I just, I was like, okay, just keep shooting. That was the prerogative. And it, it was the most remarkable thing I will ever film in my life. After the call, um... Navalny says that this military chemist that he spoke with who spilled the beans is probably going to be killed. He's probably going to end up dead in a ditch uh, for revealing yeah. these details. Do we, do you know whatever happened to that chemist? Oh, Matt, this always trips me up when I'm asked about this. This, this, this kind of makes my stomach turn. Christo Grozev, the journalist in the film, who's kind of like the, the mastermind behind all of this, his sources tell him that Kudratsev has disappeared. Uh, disappeared six feet underground, uh, that, he, that they took him out. Um, and when I heard that news and we got that, I mean, we'll never know for sure. Of course, we'll never know for sure. But but Christo's sources are, are pretty good and they're, they're on the pulse of these things. And when Christo told me that, my stomach was in knots. I was sort of staggering around for a few days. The thought that my work as a filmmaker, being in the room filming something, led to some guy being murdered uh, is is it's really upsetting, obviously. But at the same time, I have to just remind myself that this guy who was killed, if, if it's true that Kudratsev had, has been taken out, is working with a team of FSB assassins to murder political opposition leaders because of their political positions and their beliefs and their, their hopes for their country. Um, Konstantin Kudratsev made his bed when he started working as part of this kill team and when he got on an unsecured line and spoke about every detail of the plot to murder Navalny on the phone. But of course, it's still deeply upsetting. I can't help but think about the, the, you know, the family he left behind and, and these sorts of things just on a human level. Were you yourself at all worried for your safety in making this film? People who speak out against um, the Russian state sometimes find themselves falling out of windows, falling off roofs, being poisoned uh, on airplanes. Um, were you at all frightened? I, I don't know. I wouldn't say that I was ever frightened. I would say that there are moments of paranoia. There are moments, you know, when you wonder, you know, if you're safe, if you're secure, if they've already hacked your phone, you know, uh, uh, these, these sorts of things. When we were about to reveal the identity of the film uh, before Sundance, I had to sort of get on a call with 
everyone in my family who shares the name Roar, my last name, and we did sort of a, a digital security 101. Um, and and I, we had to, I had to get everybody on two-step verifications and make sure they had secure passwords because it was very plausible that the Russians would try and hack a relative of mine in order to get to me to be able to do some sort of phishing attack. So those are the type of things I was, I was mindful of. For my physical safety, absolutely not. I mean, it's really important to remember that we have this image of Russian spies being these super capable tradecraft guys who are really good and, and get the job done. But I believe uh, in my heart that they're absolute morons um, and the corruption that has eroded every aspect of Russian society has like, likewise er eroded the security apparatuses. And uh, we're seeing the ineptitude on a small scale in our film, and we're seeing it on a much larger scale in Russia's brutal and devastating war in Ukraine. Um, they're sort of professional morons, these guys. So I can't say that I'm, I'm too afraid of them, Matt. What do you know about how Navalny is doing now? He goes back to Russia after he survives the poisoning. He's arrested. This is all documented again. And it's in the film. He's arrested. He ends up in prison. The sentence is nine years, but people believe he could be in prison for as long as 20 years. How is he doing? What do you know about that? You know, he's not in a good spot. Navalny is in the custody of the men who tried to murder him in August of 2020. Um, he's in a gulag outside of Moscow. It's that this is a very unpleasant place to be. But what I am inspired by and what I think about is the man's spirit and courage. And he has a character, an internal constitution, a resolve that is made of steel. And so when I feel sad or mournful that this guy who I care about is in this really horrible place, I'm reminded of the strength of his character and the support of his family and the millions of people around the world and more importantly, the millions of Russians who are rooting for this guy. And I know it's their support that I think inspire his own confidence and his own spirit. But it's really, it's really challenging. You know, he survived a hunger strike and I remember hopping on a, a plane to, to, to Vilnius, Lithuania with my camera to be near his staff in the event, the at that moment, very possible event that he died. What I am reminded of is, is something that's pivotal to his own worldview, and that's that hope and optimism are fundamental if you are doing the work that he does. Alexei is in a dark place, but he is a bright light, and it is um, uh, my hope that he is able to survive this ordeal because I think that his impact on the future of his country um, is unrealized. There's a lot of greatness left in his future, and, and I really hope he has the ability to um, uh, survive this and make his, his true mark. You asked him, before he went into prison, you asked him to answer your question about what his message was to the Russian people, and you asked him to give the answer in Russian. What struck you about the answer that he gave you? What he was speaking to in his answer, and, and just to summarize, he, he says that essentially evil in the world is only able to proliferate if good people do nothing. So don't be inactive. And right now around the world, we are seeing the tides of authoritarianism begin to proliferate and be pushed back and proliferate and be pushed back. And there is a struggle taking place in big and small ways. So what, who Alexei is speaking to when he says, don't be inactive, 
is a voter in the suburbs of Paris who decides to vote for Macron and not Marie Le Pen. He's speaking to a voter in Wisconsin who is not going to support a potential re-election campaign of Donald Trump or someone in Brazil who does not, who is not going to support Jair Bolsonaro, their tyrant in the next election. And more than anything, he's talking to the Russian people and he's saying, we have the power. The power is vested with us, the people of this nation. And I think that the universal message that he's giving to the world um, is really, really important today as we're seeing what happens when authoritarianism goes unchecked. This egregious war in Ukraine and, and, and the evil, vile uh, behavior of Putin's armies and, and their murderous regime. Um, Alexei is reminding all of us, don't be inactive. And, and it's incumbent upon everyone to heed that call. Daniel Rohr, it's good to speak with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Daniel Rohr is the director of Navalny about the Russian opposition critic Alexei Navalny. I spoke with Daniel Rohr in 2022. His documentary on Navalny won an Oscar last year. The Russian prison service has said this morning that Alexei Navalny had died at the age of 47. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.